Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime feel-good runner himself, Jim Lynch. Wow, the very first episode of Feel Good Running Podcast. I never thought we were going to make it here, but we did. I'm your host, Jim Lynch, and I hope to be your host for many future episodes. I know, I definitely know there's a lot of very good running podcasts out there for you to listen to, along with general podcasts, and you chose to listen to mine today, so I thank you. And if you like what you hear on Feel Good Running, please consider subscribing. You can go to feelgoodrunning.com, subscribe there, or through iTunes or whatever other uh, sites you download your podcast from uh, that we're on. So thanks for listening, and we really appreciate it. And I really hope you love the show because I love running. And uh, that's kind of my thing. So you are probably asking yourself, what is the Feel Good Running Podcast all about? Well, this is our first episode. You clicked on the icon and you're given this due to chance. So I'm going to tell you, this podcast is for the everyday runner. It's for those of us who lace up our running shoes and just go out and run. You know, my goal for this podcast is to inspire you, motivate you, and possibly even entertain you. None of our listeners are going to win the Boston or New York Marathon, but many of our listeners are going to run a marathon, or they're going to run a half marathon, 10K, 5K, or some other running-related event. Or maybe you, yeah, that's right, you, you may never run a race. Maybe you just want to run for all the benefits that running can provide. This podcast is for the person that found running because maybe a personal reason. Maybe life threw you a curveball, and because you found running, you are back in the game. Maybe some unfortunate events in your life caused you to go into a depression, and you lost your self-worth, and maybe yourself in general. And running saved you and gave you a purpose to live again. Maybe you found other runners that believed in you, and step by step, you started to believe in yourself again. And maybe you just like running for its benefits. Better health, better mental fitness, your clothes fit better, your day has more meaning. It's your own personal reason why you run. That is the beauty of running. It's all about you and nobody else. Some will get it, some won't, but who cares? You get it, and that is all that matters. And that means you are a feel-good runner. Now, the Feel Good Running Podcast is for you. It's about you and by you. Each episode will include an interview, mostly with everyday runners who have a story that will inspire and motivate our listeners. Maybe they are winning the fight against a disease. Maybe they had a tragedy in their life. Maybe they were dealt some bad cards in the game of life or whatever their story may be, positive or negative, 
they found running and it changed their life forever. Or maybe you're just an everyday runner that just gives back of yourself to help others. If you have a story, I really want to hear it and maybe interview you. Your story may motivate and inspire just one person and that could change their life forever. If so, if you have a story, please go to feelgoodrunning.com and type it in. I want to hear it. This podcast is for you and about you. Also in each episode, I look everywhere and anywhere to find motivating stories, interesting articles, running facts, food items, and even some weird running-related items. And I will always finish the podcast with a running-related quote or running mantra for you to ponder upon, think about, and take to heart during your next run. Of course, as this podcast evolves, so will the format. Suggestions are always welcome to improve the show. Always. So what not to expect on this podcast? Well, I am not a doctor, so injury discussion will be minimal. I cannot recommend how to overcome injuries because, well, that's for a professional. However, I may refer to some injuries and talk about mentally overcoming them, but really, that's about it. And also, I am an RRCA certified running coach, but I will not talk much about training, coaching, and other related items, though I may refer to them per my personal experience or give you recommendations on where to go for training. There are several wonderful podcasts out there that dig deeper into training, and I'll recommend some of them to you to listen to from time to time if that's what you are looking for. And of course, without a doubt, if I come across a very good podcast on running or a, a running book that I really like, I will recommend it and put it in the show notes. Because this podcast is for the everyday runner, if I have an experienced, accomplished running guest that may be a well-known elite runner, I only want them on if they have a background or story of giving back to the running community. Now, I definitely appreciate a runner that has won races and has accomplished something like running across the United States. But what I'm really interested in, and I think my listeners will be really interested in, is how they're giving back to the running community. Do they volunteer? Do they work with the everyday runner? Do they work with the youth? Did they possibly write a book that has inspired the everyday runner? If so, I certainly want them on Feel Good Running. I think my listeners would really appreciate the motivation and inspiration that they could bring to the podcast. And finally, I will never, never endorse any product on this podcast unless I have personally used it. If I used it and believed in it, then I will recommend it. Just so you know, I use very minimal supplements and they are everywhere. You can find supplements just about anywhere and everywhere. Seriously, if they were all cracked up to be what they say, we would all be elite runners. So, if I don't use it, you'll never hear about it. Same goes for shoes and other products that are related to running. I care about you, the listener, 
and I want to gain your trust. There are so many good running podcasts out there, and I know that if I blow it, you will never come back. So I hope that gives you a little insight as to what you can expect on the Feel Good Running Podcast. I sincerely hope you will subscribe and be a regular listener, recommend this podcast to your running friends, and of course, ultimately become a feel-good runner yourself. I really thank you for listening. And now it's time to welcome this episode's very special running guest. So now that you know a little bit more about what the Feel Good Running podcast is all about, it's now time for this week's special guest and interview. And I thought long and hard about the first episode and the first guest and the first interview, and I felt you need to know a little bit more about your host, and that's me, Jim Lynch. And instead of me blabbing like I have for the last nine minutes, I thought, why doesn't somebody interview me? And so I went out on Twitter And one of my favorite running podcasts is I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. And I was able to connect up with Lindsay, and she graciously agreed to interview me for my first podcast. And I feel very humbled and, of course, grateful. Now, Lindsay is the creator and host of the podcast I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. She is also a running coach and a mom of three energetic boys, and that will keep her busy, I'm sure. She has added her voice to the running community through her podcast, named as one of iTunes' new and noteworthy podcasts, by the way. Lindsay has interviewed some of America's most influential and accomplished runners, including Shalane Flanagan, Catherine Switzer, Dina Castor, and this year's Boston Marathon female winner, Des Linden. Now, Lindsay's laid-back, conversational style has won her a loyal following, including me. What started as a passion project has turned into a career that continues to develop and grow. An accomplished runner herself, Lindsay has completed 14 marathons with a personal record of 3 hours and 11 minutes, and that is fast. And Lindsay is often training and racing with her husband, Glenn. You can find out more about Lindsay on her website at lindsayhine.com. Now do yourself a favor and go to whatever service you subscribe your podcast through and look for I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. Her podcasts are amazing. I have learned so much listening to her podcast. She has absolutely incredible guests on there and she is a wonderful interviewer. So without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Lindsay Hine interviewing me for my first podcast of Feel Good Running. Enjoy. All right. Well, Jim, I'm so excited to interview you for your own podcast, Feel Good Running. I thank you. Welcome to your own show. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my own show. Exactly. Um, okay, so I want to hear about your life. I know that your listeners are going to want to learn a little bit about you. So first of all, Tell us why you wanted to start the podcast and uh, what motivated you to do it. Well, I've been running for several years and I've done several marathons and, uh, um, you know, it's been a part of my life probably since about 1985. And at my age now, I really don't have any more motivation, anything to prove as far as going out and doing new races. So... 
I've switched over to where I want to help people. And I do that locally here on Maui uh, by putting on runs and co-race director of the Maui Marathon. And I thought, you know, I got a lot of education behind my back in running. And I thought a podcast would be really awesome. But I want to make my podcast um, a podcast for people that are everyday runners because I get such a giant thrill out of seeing somebody who's never run before and they get involved with running and start exceeding expectations they never thought was possible. And if they can have a story that they may be able to share that may motivate other runners, that, that I think, would be a real winner out there. Uh, you know, so many people have their own story of why they're into running. And I think those stories are, are just phenomenal. And that's where I want to take my podcast. That is so fun when people start running because when you're doing it for the first time, you see these big, big gains, you know, right from the start because you're doing something new. So that's so fun that you're going to be talking to people like that. Now, you said uh, you've been running since the 80s. So you need to tell us all how you got started running and why you started running in the first place. My brother... Um, he weighed 230 pounds. He was a smoker, a drinker, and this was in Erie, Pennsylvania. That's my hometown. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you need to do something about your health or you're not going to be around very long. Um, so he went down to the brand-new YMCA in Harbor Creek and got a membership, and he went and started lifting some weights and found out that the weight thing wasn't really what he liked but why he was down in this dungeon it was a basement that had this oval running track really small running track he saw a couple guys pretty similar to his age down there and he started running and he met these gentlemen and they became friends and he started running more and more and more. Now this was ridiculous because you'd have to run about 200 times around this thing to make any significant uh, <laughs> type of uh, progress in your runs. But the weight started falling off and then he got involved with the Erie running community, started running races, then he got into marathons. He would do Cleveland, New York, uh, Buffalo, uh, Columbus, the you know the area races in that area and uh he got down to about 140 pounds he would do um exercises for his core and he ended up having a six-pack stomach now i've never acquired a six-pack stomach but he acquired <laughs> a six-pack stomach and he was he was a good runner and i looked at that and i was real young at the time i was probably 21 maybe 22. And I figured, you know, maybe I should get into something like this. So I have longevity. I was just so impressed by him. And that's pretty much how I got into running, but I didn't take it that seriously for quite a long time. I would just play around with it. I did join that gym, by the way, and I did go <laughs> into that oval track and had a clicker because, you know, after about 50 laps, you got to sure. you got to keep clicking or else you're going to forget where you're at. Well, Jim, let the record stand that I, too, have never had a six-pack. <laughs> have you ever ran the Erie, Erie Marathon? I have, the Irresistible Marathon. I uh, I went back there and I did that one. It's a double loop around Presque Isle, um, right on Lake Erie. Uh, unfortunately, it's in August, 
which means it's – Oh, the, I thought it was September. It's, it, well, edge of August, beginning of September, sure. somewhere okay. in there. But whatever it is, it's still hot. And so you're going to deal with heat and humidity on that race. But it's pretty. It's a nice race. It's a flat course too, right? Very flat. Yeah, you don't have much hill at all on that. Well, I feel like a lot of people go out there and try to get a last uh, chance Boston qualifier because it's like right before registration there. You know who I uh, send people to for a Boston qualifier right before registration is Pocatello, Idaho. Love that race. The first half of it is downhill and it's absolutely gorgeous. And then the second half is a lot flatter. But, um, you know, if you're, you've been training all summer long, that would be a race that you can qualify for Boston. And I think you got about a week before, you know, Boston opens up. And Idaho, you don't think to travel to Idaho. That's a great idea. Oh, and it's beautiful. They, they bush up to the top and it's freezing and, um, you go into this little barn and there's goats running around and, uh, you know, other cats and dogs and and then you all walk out to the start line and and head on out it's 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 a lot of fun those are those are memories i'll tell you i love those memories okay what's the race called again pocatella okay we're all gonna look that up and you're gonna put that in your show notes i'll put it in my show notes absolutely (laughs) so do you still to this day give your brother credit for uh, why you started running? I always give my brother credit. Um, yeah. When I started marathons, uh, my nephew, after he graduated from college, uh, moved to Los Angeles where I was living with a couple of his friends. And so my brother called and he said, hey, I'll challenge you to run the LA Marathon. This was in 1989. And I said, all right, great. I uh, saw you ran marathons, so I don't see any reason why I couldn't. I really didn't know what was involved at that time. We didn't have internet or, you know, any any type of coaching except if you went out and bought a Jeff Galloway or a Hal Higdon book or something like that to try to figure it out. And so I accepted his challenge and uh, I ran that race, trained pretty hard. I lived in Hermosa Beach and would train on the Strand out there, uh, get up early in the morning and before I went into work and uh, get my run in. And uh, I'd do it at night, too, or at lunchtime at the local YMCA I belonged to. And uh, and then he came out, and he caught the flu on the plane. So he said, I'm still going to run it. Uh, he only made it through the first 15 miles, and he had to drop out. And I finished it in around 3 hour and 58 minutes, and I've never let him live it down to this day. So you broke the four-hour mark on your debut marathon. I did. I did. And I didn't even know what that meant. I I had no goal. I didn't know what my goal was. My goal was to finish. I I knew nothing about a marathon. I didn't know anything about, you know, the wall or what you experience through each mile. Um, But it was fun. I enjoyed it. Did you hit the wall? No, I didn't. I was too— You must have paced yourself. no idea, but I will tell you that the <laughs> crowds out in L.A. at that time, this is when it started over at the Coliseum um, in the early, early, early days of the L.A. Marathon. And uh, you went through some pretty interesting neighborhoods, and everybody was so friendly. I was just mesmerized by all the crowds and, you know, the encouragement. I think that kept my mind off of any pain or anything at that time. So you've since then... You've ran a total of 101 marathons. Correct. 
So, holy cow, uh, how did it turn into that, and why why do you think it stuck? Why do you think it stayed with you your whole life? Well, after my first marathon, I, I went and signed up for the Long Beach Marathon, and uh, that one didn't go so well. I didn't train much because I went through a breakup with a girlfriend at that time, and I was, you know, moping around with my head in the sand and didn't eat much for two weeks and before the marathon and decided I probably should carbo load right beforehand. So that didn't work out too well. Um, but I finished around 420 or something like that. Um, but I got the bug and then my brother, um, he said we should do New York. And so I signed up for New York in 1991 and it was a phenomenal race, a phenomenal experience. This is back in the day when you had to send in a postcard and, uh, you wouldn't know if you got accepted until around August um, for the marathon that was always in November, first Sunday in November. And uh, so you have to train, and if you didn't get accepted into the lottery, then you didn't. But we, we did uh, that year, and then, then the following year I ran it again. And, uh, and it was cheaper. You know, I don't know what it is now. I think it's about $300, but it was, <laughs> yeah. I think we were paying $45 entry for the New York Marathon back then. It's crazy. Wow. Um, so I kept doing them, and then in 1995, I moved to Denver from Los Angeles, and I worked, uh, I was in, I've been in the cable industry for years, and the corporate office that I worked in had a a shower room and a workout room, and there were some people that would run at lunch, so I started running at lunch. And uh, I had, I only wanted to do 10 marathons. I had nine when I moved to Denver. And my friend, he, he started running with us and then we became friends. His name is uh, David Zonker. And, uh, and he really got into running. He was a natural. He would go out there and he was, he was just a natural runner. And um, I said, we should do the LA marathon. And we did. And then he said, let's do steamboat. So this is in Colorado. Night, real nice race uh, in uh, way in the middle of Colorado, Steamboat Springs. And uh, we did that. And then uh, I said, you know what? New York was a great experience. Let's go do that one. And so he, um, we did that. We got a really nice uh, little apartment uh, room that we rented uh, across from uh, the Dakota where, you know, Unfortunately, John Lennon was shot, and it was right around the corner from uh, the Z family meeting area, which is really good because his last name was Zonker, so we just had to go around the corner. But when we were walking up to the Verrazano Narrow Bridge, he said, you know what, let's do all 50 states. I said, yeah, okay, sounds good. You know, it's so so nonchalant. I I don't (laughs) understand my mentality back then. Um, but we did, and um, we did, and we made that commitment to each other, and most of them we did together. There were some that we did not do together. Um, I had an injury in 2003, um, a back injury that uh, I had to have surgery for, and he had a shoulder injury that year. So it took us eight and a half years. There were some years we were doing 10, 11 marathons, and like in 2003, I think we only did two. Um, but we accomplished that goal in October of 2006 in Newport, Rhode Island at the Breakers Marathon. And um, it was pretty phenomenal. Um, so I kept, uh, we ran one more together, which was Tucson in November. 
And then he said, you know, I'm done with this. So he kind of peeled off, didn't do them. I happened to get involved with a running group in Denver called Runner's Edge of the Rockies, met some wonderful people and got so energized and we would do road trips and do marathons. I just decided, okay, I'm going to go for 100. And I did and finished that up in uh, 2014 in Fort Collins, Colorado, Colorado Marathon. And then did one more in Honolulu. I didn't even train for the thing um, Mm. because I'm trying to work on a book called Running 101, about 101 marathons, 101 observations and um, thoughts, uh, you know, about the marathons. Well, that book sounds really exciting and I want to hear more about it. But before we get there, I want to ask you, um, you know, you you ended up doing you, you completed the 50 states you did. And then you did 50 more marathons. And at one point, though, in 2003, 2003, when you were injured, you were actually told by a doctor that you probably weren't ever going to be able to run again. And then 50 marathons later, there you go. Correct. So tell us about that diagnosis and um, how you came out of it and how you kind of like mentally wrapped your head around that and then physically got back to a place where you could run again. So what what happened, um, um, I was in Denver. Uh, we took a trip, my wife and my stepdaughter and stepson, to Denver because um, we were going to be moving there, uh, back there. I moved there. I moved to Virginia uh, to get married, and my stepkids were still in high school and needed to wait until they got out of high school before we went back to Denver. So we did a trip there, and that was it just happened that uh, DC had this horrific snowstorm. And as a matter of fact, we were delayed two days from coming back because it was that bad of a snowstorm. When we got back at the house that we had, um, I was shoveling snow and I felt a tweak, you know, just a shift in my back. Didn't really think anything of it. And, um, I went down in May to Charleston, South Carolina, my uh, brother, lives down there and uh, they have this gigantic uh, 10k called the Cooper River Bridge Run and uh, so when I got down there I started feeling this sciatica down my leg and um, I was able to complete the 10k with no problem but as it got closer to April for the Boston Marathon and I qualified for it the previous year in Chicago um, and um I started uh, getting more and more severe pain. And about a week before, I was really in a lot of pain uh, with sciatica. And I went to, uh, you know, a massage therapist and a chiropractor. I did anything and everything that I possibly could to be able to, you know, get rid of this and at least get through the marathon, the Boston Marathon, because you you worked very hard for qualifying for the Boston. And it was easier then than it is now, actually. Um, So I was limping the day before that year, the Boston Marathon, and started running. And I was in severe pain around mile 10. And then I started walking and running. And I got to mile 18. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I saw the aid station and I just peeled off and went in there and was just devastated. And uh, I had to wait. I didn't get back to the hotel till six o'clock that night. It was just the most horrific uh, experience for me as a runner, for any runner that would have to go through that. 
So when I got back to Virginia, I, I had, I went to a doctor and, um, I had an MRI done. And what happened was my L4, L5, the gel broke through the shell and the shell fragments embedded into my sciatic nerve. And, um, it pretty much caused semi-paralysis because there was times where I could hardly move, period. I was literally frozen, stuck, frozen. One time I had to go to the emergency room. I remember laying in the emergency room and this doctor came up. This is after they pumped me with so much pain medication. And he looked at me and said, hey, buddy, your running days are completely over. You're done. (laughs) And I I was in a fog and I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, gosh. And my surgeon, um, Dr. Patel, in Fairfax, Virginia, if you ever need anybody to work on your back, go to see this dude, man, because he, he is miracle, miracle doctor. He always said, no, you know what? You're going to be fine. This is a pretty simple surgery. It's a microdisectomy. You know, we just go in there. We pull the stuff out, scrape it up a little bit, got a little bit of a scar. You'll be back to normal in six weeks. I wow. Said, I said, oh, okay. I had, as soon as I went in there, I had instant relief right after the surgery. And I, I had to walk a lot because you can't just sit. You have to, you know, get those muscles going again and you, you can't let it freeze up. And uh, it took me about six, seven weeks before I could start running. And I was extremely slow at that time. And this was in May of 2003. And I was able to run the Chicago Marathon in uh, in October. So it, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of what that doctor said, but I do think about it. And I did think about it when I did my marathons because, um, you know, he was an inspiration to me in a, in a kind of a weird, quirky way. Yeah, I mean, because you hear about back injuries and they really can be devastating and they can end your running career. So kudos to that doctor for not totally writing you off because sometimes I feel like in the medical field, especially if doctors aren't runners, a lot of times they just say, oh yeah, you're done. You know, like you just need, you need to find a new hobby. And clearly this surgery worked and you, you came back. So did you ever have, um, struggles with depression or just mentally getting through it because you know we use running to help us with our mental health let's be honest right like physically it feels good but mentally it feels really good so did you struggle with that at all of course um i was a part of the rest and runners and that was my weekend life um you know my wife was busy with her kids and i was uh you know uh running on Saturday morning and Sunday morning and you know the ritual you run with your group and then you go out to breakfast and you talk and you know the hours go by and that was my life I I enjoyed it and I loved Reston's uh running uh uh, um, trails that they have out there so I it's it was an immediate loss and I was very depressed and you know, it was not only that doctor, but there was other people that said, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry. It doesn't look like you'll ever be able to run again. Even David Zonker, the guy that I was doing the 50 states with, he said he went to his massage therapist and his massage therapist said, yeah, he may never be able to do a marathon again, but, you know, he, he'll probably be able to run. And I kept, you know, these thoughts kept pounding away at me. And, yeah, I was depressed, but I was determined to 
to overcome it. I had never thought for a moment that I was never going to run again. I, you know, I was, I was scared. I was depressed, but I mentally, I was, I was still focused. What do you think if, if that would have ended up being the case for you? What would you have ended up doing, you know, with those, those hours since then that you've spent running and, and being a part of the community? I mean, what do you think you would have done? I don't think I was as entrenched in running at that time where I would have continued to be involved like I am today. Sure. You know, I loved it, but I probably would have found something else to uh to deal with, you know, to go out and do, I don't know, I probably would have still stayed physically fit and went to the gym, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure I would have continued with running, to be honest with you. I I don't think I was that far into it to, to do that. Right. Because for instance, like now you're saying if that were to happen, you'd still host your weekly runs and you'd still be so heavily involved. But at that point in your life, you were at a place where you could have just found a new hobby or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it would have been on the physical end because I yeah. saw the I saw the benefits of running mentally, physically, um, just a uh, uh, huge um, enhancement to your your entire life. So physical fitness was really important regardless. Yeah, I think about that a lot because you know, we just don't know at any given time. Like maybe this will be Uh, pulled out from underneath us and I just I think that that's one thing as runners that's so important is finding that balance in your life and having a healthy perspective like this isn't all that I live for and it makes me happy but um, being able to direct those energies somewhere else if you need to you know it's an important thing so right now you are the vice president of the Valley Isle Roadrunners in Maui did I say that right? Perfect. That's why you're okay. such a professional and have the number one running podcast <laughs> out there. Well, Isle, I always, those kind of words, I'm always like, is that S silent or, <laughs> um, but tell us about what you're doing with that group and, and just what the group is in general. Well, the Valley Isle Roadrunners has been around since 1970 here on Maui. Um, it was, uh, it's been a long established, uh, running club and uh, Maui has a lot of runners, but a lot of runners are, are uh, I guess, transient. You know, they'll come out for vacation and join up with our group, or they'll be out here for four to six months. We're out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, so, you know, we only have 160,000 population, and the percentage of that population that are runners is very slim. So we have a nice membership. Uh, we have our core runners out here. Um, so the, the purpose of our uh, Valley Out Roadrunners Club is basically for enriching running on the island of Maui. We put on a couple runs a year. We just put on one last weekend called the Naholo Wahini, which is a all-female 5K. And... Um, that we have a couple different divisions. We have the age group divisions and we have the mother and daughter division. So that's, that's kind of cool when the mom and the daughter run together and then they come across the finish line. It's, it, it was really pretty cool race. 
we give our money. We're a nonprofit. We give the money to a local charity. And this year we gave it to a, a, a group called the Maui Farm. This is our second year. That is a safe haven for women that may have been abused um, in a relationship. And they um, give them a safe place to live with their children and teach them life skills. So after a year, they can go back into society. They learn how to farm and grow things. And they have uh, farm animals up there like uh, pigs and uh, goats and all that. So they learn how to, they just learn social skills and skills to get through life and then be able to rebuild their life after they've been, um, you know, beat down for quite a while. So we do that. We have, uh, we have the uh, EA Valley 10K. It's a a three, a 10K race and a 5K race. The 10K is a elevation of 900 feet, three miles up and then three miles down. Beautiful, beautiful 10K. Um, that pretty much keeps the club going uh, with the funds from that. We support the youth um, track uh, series competition in September. It's a series of four uh, track uh cross-country type uh, runs for kids all the way from about eight years old, seven, eight years old, all the way up to about 15. And um, our club puts on the Hana Relay, which is a phenomenal 52-mile race, teams of six. You can have one vehicle, teams dress up and have as much fun as they like. And they, there's 18 legs, and each each leg, you know, they, they split it out. Most people do three legs. Um and then for our members, we give back uh, two free runs each year. We do a turkey trot and a Christmas run where that's free to Valley Isle Roadrunner members. And they get a shirt and uh, uh, we have a potluck afterwards. So it's a, it's been a really nice functioning club. And we're a nonprofit and, and we own the Maui Marathon and that's a nonprofit too. And I'm co-race director of the annual Maui Marathon too. How many people come run the Maui Marathon? Um, we're going to have probably between 2,500 and 3,000. Um, we get several uh, countries that come in, a lot of Japan. Uh, we get a lot from the mainland, mostly pulling from California. Um, we have a full marathon. We have a four-team marathon relay. We have a half marathon, a 10K, and a 5K all run that morning. When is it? October 14th. I want to come. Yes. I don't know if I can come this year, but next year. Well, if you uh, will ever want to come out, I will comp your race. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited. Well, if if we come to Maui, we'll come run the marathon for sure. Maybe we can time. Is that a good time of year to travel to Maui, though? It's a it's a really good time of year, and I'll tell you why. Um, the we we get a grant from the Hawaii Tourism Authority, and the HTA um, provides these grants during off-tourist season for promoting tourism onto the island of Maui. So we get a grant because we're a nonprofit. We apply for it. And so September and October are considered low tourist times here. So, yes, it is a phenomenal time. The only thing is you're going to deal with a little bit warmer weather out here. So you're coming off in Indianapolis, uh, probably a hot, humid summer, so Very you would much. be you would be trained up to be able to come out and and do this race where you know 
there's a race out here that we don't put on. It's called the Maui Oceanfront Marathon in January. A lot of people struggle through that because they're coming in the middle of winter and then it's, you know, hot out here and they sure. they die yeah. in that. Yeah. So tell us why you moved out to Maui. That's such a cool place to say you live. Well, back, uh, I, my then girlfriend, um, we, my friend, David, who I was doing the 50 states with, said, you know, my family and I always went out to Maui every year, so let's do the Maui Marathon. I said, okay. And so I invited Debbie out to do the mar- and not do it because she, she's not a runner at all, um, but to come out and enjoy Maui. We booked 10 days, and there's a place in South Maui. I live in Kihei, which is South Maui. And uh, the place is called um, Kie Surfside, and just absolutely gorgeous little place. Um, and it uh, is right on the water. I always suggest to people, if you're going to come out to Maui, don't go to the resorts. However, if you have children, make sure that there's a pool that they can play in. You know, the resorts are very expensive um, out here. Everything is actually really expensive out here. But um, this place was right on the water, had a pool. Um, and uh, grills outside, and just absolutely gorgeous. So we stayed there, did the marathon, and both uh, Debbie and I fell in love with Maui. So after we got married, we came back for a little honeymoon, uh, delayed honeymoon, and then uh, we came back again and decided there was a timeshare in the building that we originally came to um, that was up for sale. And they, there's 85 units, and there's only seven of them that are time-shared. So it's kind of a private deal. You don't go through these organizations to do it like Marriott or whatever. And we bought that. And then the following year, we came out, and there was two more weeks onto ours in the same unit. So we went ahead and uh, picked that up, too. And because I had my own consulting business, Debbie and I did, um, that we um, – we're able to come out here and our business partner was able to run the business back in Denver and we would still do work out here. Um, she did more than I did, but we had that luxury and we came out every year and in 2012 made a decision to give it a shot and come on out and live out here. And, uh, that's basically how it all happened. And there's a lot of adjustment when you move to Maui. A lot, of no, people, a lot of people think it's paradise, and it certainly is in its own way, but there are some things that you have to consider and deal with if you want to live on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Okay, so tell us about some of those challenges. That's intriguing. Well, um, today you, Lindsay, can go to a mall and shop, and you have so many selections of stores. You can go to restaurants, probably have an abundance of restaurants by where you live, um, you can get in your car and you can go drive to other states. Um, your groceries um, are probably very reasonable. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, prices of just general items are very reasonable. Out here, we're limited. We have, you know, l- restaurants, but not a lot. And the fancy ones are in the resorts where the prices are exorbitant. Um, you have, um, you're landlocked. I mean, we're 150 miles around on this island. So you're, you don't have a lot of, a lot of choices to travel. If you need to get to another island, 
such as Oahu, where Waikiki is, you got to take a flight. They're not cheap. You're going to pay $180 round trip to go for a 20-minute flight over to Oahu. Um, groceries are out of this world. You'd, it'll blow your mind how much more expensive. Add about 25% to just about everything, wow. and that's what you're going to pay. And retail, you don't have the shopping. We got a mall here on Maui, but it's not anything like a mall on the mainland. And then you have all the, you know, the touristy uh, places like Quicksilver and, you know, those type sure. of stores. But, um, you know, because they have to import everything, it's uh, more expensive. And, you know, you have to get used to the Hawaiian culture. It's it's their island and we're just here. And you have to fit in and respect the culture out here. Uh, because if you don't, um, you know, it, it could be a challenge for you. Um, but I'll tell you what, the pluses are you've got every day you wake up, it's gorgeous. You got mm. the ocean right there. You can go out and swim and snorkel and paddleboard. Um, running is great, but it's always warm. You don't have a lot of fluctuations. So you have to get used to that if you like the difference in temperatures and and uh, seasons, you, you just don't have that out here. It might be a little cooler in the winter. Um, you is know, it humid though? Ever? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it does okay. get very humid out here, um, and you know you feel it. Your 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 running clothes are soaked when you're done. Uh, but you know that's all part of living here. But then you can go after you get done running, go jump in the ocean. Jump in the ocean. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing too is you don't have to buy clothes for like. Spring and fall and winter. You're basically you're running at a sports bra and shorts all year round. All year round, and your your um, you know your wardrobe. Um, you throw anything fancy out the window because it's not it's useless out here. People are just in uh, t-shirts or polo shirts and shorts, and you call them flip flops. They they call them slippers here. <laughs> slippers are your flip flops, and. Uh, and so you don't have much clothes. Uh, you really downsize. And also, you don't drive like a lot. I like that. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty awesome. And then you uh, down, uh, don't have to drive much, so you're not spending a lot of money in gas. And, you know, if you cook at home and you don't go out to eat all the time, it's, it's you know, it's doable. Housing costs, costs though, here are, are really expensive, really. Well, I always tell my husband, if we lived somewhere – where it was warm year round, I could live in a much smaller house because even now, I mean, just my kids are outside all the time, you know? And so when you're inside through the winter and you're all right there, it's more difficult to be in confined space. But when you're in a place where you can be outside a lot and that's what the kids, my kids prefer at least, um, I think I could do a very, very small house, honestly. Yeah. And most people can out here. You know, you, you, you're not in your house a lot. Um, you're outside. If you, I don't know why anybody would ever move here and stay inside their house. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> right. Okay, so Jim, what are some of the biggest lessons in life that you've learned through all, I mean, 101 marathons? And I know you're working on this exciting book that you'll share a lot of that, but, but fill us in a little bit. Well... You know, uh, when you do a marathon, um, it, it's 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 really a lot of mental. Um, you know, you, of course, you got to be physically trained for a marathon, but to get through a marathon and get to the finish line, um, you re you really have a lot of different things going on in your head. 
um, especially when the going gets tough. Um, it's your mind that takes over and, and gets you to that finish line. Your body will respond to your mind. Um, if your mind gives up, then your body's going to give up. But if your mind says, you know what, I just got to keep going, I got to keep going, you keep going. And that lesson there between all these marathons, and I've certainly struggled through many, many, many of them, um, was a good lesson in life. You know, any challenges that I have in life, I'm able to handle. Um, you know, it helped me in, in business, in my business. It's helped me in my personal life. Um, it's helped me, um, you know, to to achieve things that I never thought I would be able to achieve because I figured if I could get through a marathon, then I can get through anything in life. And that's that's probably the biggest lesson. And the other thing is, is it just means so much to me to see other people achieve. And, um, you know, we can all, a lot of people have bad habits. And yes, there's people out there that have, they they get too obsessed with running. I mean, completely, fully obsessed with the sport, which in a way is not healthy. Um, but you need to balance your life out and you need to balance running and life in general. Um, I've even been a little bit obsessive about running, um, but I don't think I'm as obsessive as some people out there. <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure, you know, you've had some phenomenal guests on your show. You've had the top of the top. I mean, you've had, you know, Shalena and Desiree and Dina and, and uh, Jackie and, and, you know, all of them that uh, have achieved things. But they also, each one of them have been able to balance in life, too. So, it was, it, you know, I listened to the podcast and, you know, they had... They have families or husbands, and they, you know they have to balance things out. And just like you, you you have to balance things out too. Um, so I think that it le- it teaches you balance if you don't get obsessed. I yes, I very very much agree with that, and I think people do get carried away. That's for sure. Um, and and to hear on that note, yeah, to hear someone like Dina Castor talk about her love for baking and all these other things that consume her life. It just really puts that into perspective. If you can compete at that level and still have some balance, you know, we can all do that. Absolutely. I, I met Dina Castor at the, uh, at the LA marathon a few years ago and I had my picture taken with her. That was a thrill because she's, um, she's been always been an idol for me. Isn't she lovely? Like she she's is. just so kind. She's very, very kind. I mean, it's, it was, it was just an honor to, to have a, just a few minutes to talk to her and get my picture taken with her. And I don't, I'm not a star stalker. Yeah. I don't go uh-huh. up and ask everybody for pictures, but, <laughs> but I needed to have a picture with her. Oh, I'd grab a picture with her for sure too. I'm at this point, I'm like, I'm shameless. Like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna post that sucker on my Instagram page for sure. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. So what's your fastest marathon and what, what race and what was the time? Um, I'm going to go by memory. I think I sent you all my times. But you my, did. But my memory, it was uh, 2002 Chicago Marathon. I, uh, I worked very, very hard. I was in Virginia and I was with a group of 10 people that worked under this, um, this maniac of a guy who was a master's runner and super fast and just a freak of nature as far as his body. 
and uh, he beat us up all summer long, and uh, and uh, it was worth every single moment because uh, I ran it at Chicago in uh, three twenty eight. I even I had a three thirty. That was the time I needed to qualify for Boston, and so I got a two minute buffer. But at that time, you were able to add fifty nine seconds onto your time, and um, you pretty much even if you hit your time, say three twenty nine, you would still get in. So. Um, that was, that was my fastest, uh, PR back then. You know, my first marathon, it was the same thing. You had that extra 59 seconds to qualify for Boston because I remember it was, I had to run a 340 to qualify. That was when times were five minutes slower and I ran 339.52 and now you wouldn't get in with that because you have to have that like three minute buffer because so many people are trying to get in. But I still had the additional 59 seconds on top of the eight seconds, you know? Right, exactly. Um, so what's your slowest marathon? Oh, well, two of them. Well, the slowest one was the 101st. Um, that was, you know, when I talked a little bit earlier about the mental aspect of it, I went into this marathon with the complete, completely deflated mental attitude it was I didn't want to do it period but I want I had to do it because it was 101 and I needed that one for the title of this book kind of stupid thing to do but um, <clears throat> I trained out here and I would go out and I'd struggle through an 18 to 20 mile run it was the, the uh, Honolulu marathon is in December so I was training probably from July uh, through, but not really taking it seriously. I go out and do it. So when I got to the marathon, I ran it and, you know, I was just miserable every single mile. So I think I ended up doing a four hour and 48 minute marathon or something like that. That was a long time. I'll tell you, being out there that long, that's, that was tough. You were well into your fifties by then though, weren't you? (laughs) I was, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was uh, well into my very, very late fifties, right around <laughs> fifty-nine. I think I was in my last, my last leg of the fifties. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not a. I mean, really, truly, if you look at the grand scheme of things, I mean, for someone in their late fifties, that's not a bad marathon time. That's not a bad. Mar- I mean, there's no bad marathon time. Nobody get mad at me for saying that. Finishing is what matters. But I'm just saying that's really not that slow. <laughs> Well, you know, you, you're used to you're used to running them. I mean, most of mine were anywhere from three thirty-five to maybe four ten, four twenty. Sure. Yeah. In in the scope of all the marathons that I did, so you know, when you go over that threshold, and all of a sudden you you hit mile twenty, and you're walking, and you look at the clock, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is an eternity from here." But you know what? You still struggle through it and you still get across the finish line. You get the medal around your neck and instantaneously you feel like you accomplished something. Even that marathon, I was happy, very, very happy um, because I still felt like I accomplished something. Yeah, there's a sense of satisfaction crossing the line of a marathon no matter how fast or slow you run it. You know, there's just there's always something different going on with with every single race. Oh yeah, I mean, there's days that the stars align. You could, yeah. you go out there from the very first step to the very last step at the finish line. Everything worked 
the body was in line, you felt great, mentally you were right there, the weather was good, you know, everything worked. And then there's other ones where you take that first step and you think, oh, it's going to be a death march today. (laughs) So tell us about, do you have a race that, or a marathon that was your most meaningful? Um, well, there's probably a lot of them. Um, um, of course the 50 state marathon, uh, the one in Rhode Island was meaningful because the whole family was out there and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, uh, uh, time where, you know, all the eight and a half years of effort, uh, to get to that point, uh, when, and, and it was really cool finish because you came into you entered into a uh, high school track and you ran around the inside for one lap and then you ran around the outside and then crossed the finish line on the track so that was kind of a cool finish and it really meant a lot to me um chicago qualifying for boston uh was really an emotional time for me um because it, it of all the work put into it um my hundredth marathon was really phenomenal because I did it in Colorado and I had all my Colorado friends there. And and one of the things that was really special um, about the Colorado Marathon in my 100th, um, a fellow friend of mine, his name uh, is Vince, Vince DeCroach. Um, he was phenomenal. And, and seven years earlier, he had a uh, tumor in his brain. And then um, they were able to shrink it and um, he went into remission uh, for several years, and he went out and did Ironman uh, races and marathons, and he was fast and he was fit. And uh, the Thanksgiving uh, before uh, that race, uh, you know, I did the race in May, but that Thanksgiving he sent an email out to a couple of us saying he went in for a checkup. He just, just did PR to marathon. I think he did like a 3 two or 303 at a marathon went in the following monday or tuesday to have a checkup and his tumor came back and um it progressively you know got worse and he put a blog together um of his of his um uh weekly uh treatments through chemotherapy his thoughts and all that and uh it was pretty apparent that he wasn't gonna gonna make it came out in January and I got a chance to talk to him out here. Him and his wife came out for a vacation. And then um, in May, he um, he told his wife that he wanted to be at the finish line to greet me. Oh. I'm sorry. This is kind of emotional. Okay. Um, and so he, he, was, he had a cane. Um, and he came out, and he was standing right at the finish line. And uh, we hugged each other, and and he passed away just a few weeks later. Oh, that's so special that he was there. It was, it was just amazing. He he, you know, thought that much of me because I certainly thought a lot about him and everybody in Denver in our running community. Um, you know, just loved him. And we had all these shirts that were, that somebody made up and it was in the shape of a Superman and it was called Invincible. Mm. Um, and we always wore those, those shirts. And so every marathon after that, um, I, 
I pinned that on my back and I ran my races for him and then for another uh, gentleman that was hit by a car during one of our Saturday runs and killed instantly. So I always put their picture on my back as memory of uh, of that. So, wow, I wasn't expecting <laughs> that, uh, Lindsay. <laughs> all, the, all the places the podcast can take you. Well, it sounds like that that specific race takes takes the top of I, I of guess all it does now that I now that I think you lear- about it you, you learned something you didn't even realize today yeah, I, although I, you I obviously did. knew it was special yeah very special yeah yep oh I'm so glad he was able to make it out for that and then that's a memory that you're just well you're gonna have forever I think on the uh, show notes I'll post a picture you know that yes. picture of him and I at the finish line of please that race. do yeah yes. that'd be awesome that'll be so nice yeah. and what was his name again Vince DeCroach Vince. That's a great name, too. Yeah. Invincible. It Invincible. Was, yeah. Shout out to Vince on this podcast. We're yeah. talking about you today, buddy. And we're coming up uh, just in a few weeks till, you know, his, his, the anniversary of his uh, passing. And how many years has that been? Um, I think we're going on four. Okay. Okay, so Jim, you're 61 now. I and am. You mostly. I don't are know just, how I got to sixty-one. I know it, it goes by so fast. fast. It does. I, I know. I still I'm feel like I'm a teenager, on. but <laughs> I'm trying to hold on so hard to my thirties. I don't want them to go anywhere because they're just so great. Um, and I know that each decade has its own special special times for certain reasons. But you are sixty-one, I and uh, you mostly do halves and five Ks, and you, clearly you're just running for fun right now. You're putting a lot of time and energy giving back to the running community at this point in your life. Right. Uh, where do you see the next 20 to 30 years for your life? What do you What do you see that being like? Well, um, knock on wood, um, I have been, for the most part, injury-free except for that back injury. Um, you know, I'm not as fast as I used to be, and it's probably because I'm out there for fun and not really training, but the the people I run with out here are good runners. Um, so I watch them get faster and faster. So they keep me motivated. I would just like to continue to run um, and be injury free and get up in the morning, which I do every morning and not feel any pain whatsoever. Um, and still mentally focused. I, you know, want to continue to give back to the running community because they gave me so much every single volunteer that was out at all the races, and I know what it takes. You're giving up your time. So and I make it a point to say thank you. So I want to keep giving back and uh, putting races on and making sure there's a forum for people to run wherever. If I'm here on Maui or if I was to live anywhere else, I would get involved uh, there also because I just think it's a very healthy sport. I'm hoping that, you know, when my podcast launches, it, you know, I'm hoping somebody will listen to it and, um, and that, uh, you know, maybe if I could get, uh, one person out of my podcast that said it changed my life. I listened to so-and-so's interview and I, and their story about how this, you know, they overcame this, whatever they overcame, um, motivated me to run. And now I'm doing PRs and it's changed my life. And I'm uh, such a happy person. That would be important to me 
over the next few years. And uh, I'm glad you said 20 to 30 years because I'm hoping I'm still <laughs> around at 20 to 30 years. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking 91. We can do that. I almost said 40 even. I mean, the sky's the limit, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 I'm going to be out there even if I'm on a walker in these 5Ks. I'm going to be out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that you have, I think that that's there's something special about the podcasting platform because you really do get to the heart of people's stories and when you actually hear someone's voice and kind of you know like the sincerity behind it it's a lot different than any other platform we have and I think it's a really special place and you're going to talk to so many people that not only will change your listeners lives but will change your life too so I'm I'm just like so excited for you to be getting started with this. Anytime someone tells me they're starting a podcast, I get really excited for them because it's been a truly life-changing adventure for me as well. And, and you're, you've been doing yours. You're, you're well over 100 episodes already. Yeah, this Friday is going to be 120. I'm, it's, I just passed two years. That's amazing. Good for you. And, Thank you. And you've been able to um, um, bring on some phenomenal guests, um, just amazing guest, and and every single episode that I listen to, I'm starting to learn things. I I really liked uh, your episode with Jackie Merritt. Oh um, yeah, yeah. The one thing I got out of it, and I was talking to um, Malia Kraus out here. She she's uh you know she hates me when I tell tell people she's an elite runner, but she's an elite runner. She's fast. Not certainly to the Jackie Merritt end or the, you know, Dina Castor end, but she's, you know, the fastest woman on the island. And when we were talking about your episode, because she listens to you when she runs, um, and she was talking about um, the hip flexor and how important it is because that's where you you build your strength and your glutes and your hip flexor to be able to push off and and get those fast twitch muscles faster and build that strength when you push off and that was so valuable i even i i do a personal trainer that does stuff for me not a running trainer but for other things um and i said you know what i want you to really work on my uh exercises now to build the hip flexors and the glutes if they're lunges or whatever you're going to do because i want to see how that enhances my running but that's uh you know, your podcast just brings so much information to so many people um, out there. And uh, that's why you're number one in my book. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That's so kind of you. Well, I will say, too, with the hip thing, um, you know, so many people want to disregard those kind of exercises and things. But that's why so many people have injuries like plantar fasciitis and runner's knee and IT band problems. It's like it all comes from having weak glutes and hips. And if we can just like get on top of that early and like before we start building up crazy miles for marathon training, it's not going to be 100% foolproof, but it's going to help a lot of people to not deal with these nagging, silly injuries. You know, it's just, it's easy to write that stuff off and be like, well, if I'm going to get anything done, it's going to be my miles. But skipping one easy five mile run to get that stuff in is going to do you way more benefit, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I agree with you a thousand percent on that. You, you really need to do other things. Once, yeah, I hear so many people say, I don't run because I have bad knees. Well, 
you got to run a little bit to see if that's really the case or if you if that is a a permanent injury that you have in there you don't know you just don't know and people that do get injured are probably doing things that they shouldn't be doing to get <laughs> True. injured so if you had one message to send to the world what would it be show up you know, mm, if you're good. if you're if you're thinking about running, you're sitting on the couch and you're thinking, eh, you know, I really need to get out there. Just show up. Go find a running group. Go, you know, a running group is, is the most magical thing organization you'll ever get involved with. You'll meet positive people. They're all positive people from all walks of life. You got doctors and lawyers and um you know, very highly educated people, people that have a lot going on, business owners, entrepreneurs. These are people that, you know, if you're going to be a runner, you're, you got to have something going on in your life. You just can't be complacent. So show up and watch the magic happen because it will happen. Yeah. And show up for running, but like show up for every aspect of your life, right? Like sh- just show up, just, just show, show up. up, just show up. That's all you got to do. Um, and when you do, you know, may, may not be the best experience the first time, but you know what? You keep showing up and, and things change. That's your slogan, Jim. That should be your slogan. All right. <laughs> That's your thing. I I'm, love it. I'm, I'm going to take that on. Thank you. So before we wrap up, I want to just have you kind of tell us about the books that you've been working on. And I think, I want to give you a kick in your rear to to get on it and get this thing published. All right. Um, The first book I've been working on forever, it's called One Foot in Front of the Other. It's kind of a memoir about my life, um, some of the struggles that I've had when I was younger. Um, Then when, and fun stories too. I mean, when I was a kid, it's got some real fun stories in there too, but some major struggles, um, losing my mom, and father when I was very, very young, um, and stuff like that. And, and how, when running came into my life, it just changed me, gave me my identity because I'm mostly identified with running. Um, you know, anybody that talks about me, they say, Hey, this is the guy that did 101 <laughs> marathons. And I'm <laughs> humble because I don't like to talk about myself. This is the only episode I ever will, unless I'm referencing <laughs> something with somebody else. And, uh, you know, it, it just goes into that. It's really not a book about running, but it shows running is interjected into it and, and different things that running has helped in my life. And then the second one, which I think I'll have published a lot quicker because it's a, a more of a shorter book. It's 101 marathons, 100, um, or running 101, 101 marathons, 101 thoughts, observations, on life. Um, and it's kind of referencing some of the things that I went through uh, or observed when I was doing the 101 marathons. That is usually each one of them will be a paragraph or two. And, um, you know, just be a little bit of a motivation for somebody, something to, you know, for them to chew on, think about, and get out there and maybe spark them to go out and do something cool in the running world. When, when do you think we can see that? When do you think we'll see the book on the when, shelves? When, when do you think you're going to 
force me to put a date down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, I'm excited about that. And I am just so thankful for this opportunity to interview you for your very own show. And I'm excited for you. And, you know, let me know how I can be any kind of help for your journey. And um, I just can't wait to listen. Well, you'll be a help in two ways. One, once I get legs on my show and and get some um, people listening and build up an audience, I will. Um, I want to have you on as a guest because oh, I, thank you. I, I think that you have a lot to give, especially not only with your running, and I understand your husband's a runner also, correct? Yeah, he is. So you've got two, two, uh, two areas that you can talk about, and then, you know, how your experience has been talking to all the people that you've um, had guests on your shows and what you've learned from them personally. So I would like to have you on as a guest and, uh, you know, and then to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, I would love to do that. And uh, yeah, good luck and have a great rest of the day. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it and appreciate that you came out of the woodwork and when I did my tweet and uh, <laughs> said I'd be happy to do that it meant meant a lot to me so thank you I loved learning about your life thank you all right well there you have it thank you so much Lindsay for interviewing me for my first podcast and to all the listeners that are listening to this right now go to wherever you get your podcast from and subscribe right now to I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. Or you can go to lindsayhine.com and uh, get the podcast from there. Uh, she is an amazing interviewer and you're going to really like her podcast very much. Towards the end of the interview, Lindsay asked me a question about what my most memorable marathon was. And I had to think about it, but when I locked in to the Colorado Marathon, my 100th marathon in 2014, where Vince was at the finish line, that brought a lot of emotion um, out, of, out of me. And I didn't realize that I had that much emotion in there still from uh, you know Vince and, and my friendship with him and him passing and that marathon in general. But I just want to let you know, as a footnote, that that day continued on. Uh, several of my running friends from Colorado were at that marathon to share that moment with me uh, of finishing my 100th marathon. And my very good friend, Nicole Matson, she spent months acquiring pictures from a lot of my marathons throughout the year. I have no idea to this day how she got all those pictures. And she put together this really nice uh, picture book uh, with a story behind it about my journey uh, to 100 marathons. And it was so touching. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you, Nicole. And you better be listening right now because that really meant a lot to me. And then to give that to me when all uh, of the my running friends from Colorado that were there uh, shared that moment. A lot of tears came down my my cheeks on on that day. So thank you so much uh, for making that memorable, and and thank you Vince for inspiring me to this day. Even though you're no longer with us, but Vince, you are not forgotten. Believe me, many of us still think about you every single day. There you go. You'll know a little bit more about me, and uh, hopefully you'll subscribe to my podcast and uh, 
Listen to what I can bring to the table to provide you some inspiration and motivation through the Feel Good Running Podcast. Here is a running quote to keep you inspired and feeling good. Each episode, I will end with a running quote. And this particular quote is perfect for my first episode of Feel Good Running. I remember I was worn out at the New Mexico Marathon. I was at about mile 21 and I didn't have much gas left in the tank. And so I saw this sign and it said, relax, breathe and put one foot in front of the other. And as I passed that sign, I used that mantra in my head. I would just say, relax, breathe and put one foot in front of the other. And that got me through the rest of that marathon. So think about it this next week or whenever you're running in the future. Think about that saying and ponder upon it because it really does give you a little bit of motivation. Now, that may not be your mantra, but it is one for you to definitely think about. Well, that's it for the first episode of Feel Good Running. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Please share this with your running friends. And remember, when you're out there running, always, always feel good about your running. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel-good running vibe around you. Head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show. Until next time, keep motivated, keep focused, and keep on running. It is sure to make you, well, feel good.